great stuff. Well, thank you for the great welcome. Man, I've loved being here. We've just loved, we've had a great time. Just a great time. And uh, it's great when you get around people who love the Holy Ghost because you can just fellowship with them and uh, share stories. So we've got a heap of stories. So we end up talk, 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 share stories, laugh, and, uh, and, and so on. Find out what God is doing or what we're hearing the Spirit of God doing. So I'm so glad you came tonight, and uh, I want to share a message, and I want you to open your heart to let God uh, use the message to just challenge you in your own life, and to challenge you in your journey with the Lord. And uh, I'm, um, I'm connected to quite a whole number of churches all around the world, and so I'm watching some of the things that are going on. We're living in tremendous times of change, and so you can't hang on to yesterday. You've got to be sensitive to what God is doing, and being able to work with that. So uh, it was a bit of a challenge to work out what to bring tonight, but I, I've got a message, and, and when you see it unfold, you'll see how it applies uh, currently and uh, to so many people, and uh, it'll, be, uh, it'll have application in your life too. So we're from Hastings, and we, as, uh, as Pastor Don said, we've got seven children, all married, all in church, 24 grandchildren, heaps of people. So some of them live overseas, which is... Uh, well, we'd love them to be closer, but when we all come to a Christmas and Easter, it's quite good that we haven't got everyone together. It just I remember when we did, it was just like crowd management. I think, my God, I'm exhausted. And what we, all we did was manage children. You know, it was like a big Sunday school or something. And uh, we got, we, I think we've got six 10-year-olds currently. And so, so they're all going to be six 13-year-olds and six 14-year-olds. Oh, uh, yeah, it's great. But let me just throw a thought to you. The fact that they're all married and have wonderful partners and all in church and all the grandchildren in church, never an accident. There's intentionality about family building. And, uh, and I really honor Joyce's father for showing how to build family and uh, also my own father for what he was able to do too. Anyway, I want you to open your Bible. We're gonna, I'm going to speak a message called uh, overcoming the spirit of injustice, overcoming the spirit of injustice. How many people have been treated unfairly sometime? Yeah, Lord, when you've got kids, it's always that. <laughs> it's not fair. There's something in us has a deep sense of justice. And when something is not fair, you normally have a good, a strong feeling inside. You get angry. <laughs> That's not right. That's not fair. And we get stirred. And of course, if we don't deal with injustice, then that whole anger we feel when we either see or experience injustice can be manipulated to bring us out of the things of God and out of the call of God. So if we handle and recognize what injustice is and how to deal with it properly, then God can use it to prepare you to fulfill your call. So we're going to share a little bit about this. No one hasn't experienced injustice, and there'll be some of you still wrestling with injustice. And when you're wrestling with injustice, it doesn't take much to trigger you off. Because the next thing you see or experience that smells of injustice stirs the pot of all the unresolved previous injustice. And then you find you react in ways that actually don't help your future or the future of others. So we need to learn how to overcome and deal with injustice. I'm going to, what I'm going to do is use the story of someone who I love the story because uh, this guy is just incredible what he did, and we want to see the hand of God in his life, and I want to open up for you just uh, what he actually did, what his journey was to deal with what was in his heart, and how relevant that is for today. So, uh, just injustice can leave a very deep impact on people, 
And uh, I have people coming in. If you think of the most common thing that we would experience in people coming in is deep injustice they experienced in their family life and has never been resolved. And it can leave a mark on your heart and a mark in the way you think, and it affects, uh, if you don't deal with injustice properly, injustice will affect how you relate to people. It will affect, if it's unresolved, even the type of people you're attracted to. It'll, it'll continue to overflow in all relationships. So I find I do quite a lot of helping people with struggles that they have, particularly related to marriage, family life, not that that's my thing, but <laughs> anyway, people, when you start to talk to them, they're in pain. So it always comes down to unresolved injustices and how it's impacted the heart and never been resolved. So we have to deal with that. So the Bible's very clear that injustice can pass from one generation to another. And so right now, not only in America, you can see the evidence of injustice everywhere. Not just recent injustice, what you're seeing is the fruit of injustice starting to manifest. And I don't think it's all in America. That same thing will be in our nation in the various forms in the coming five years. And uh, we've already started seeing, as I've talked with pastors, starting to see the spirit behind it manipulating congregations to bring division. So we, we have to just be aware of these things. The Bible tells us that bitterness in the heart defiles relationships. And uh, in Hebrews 12, verse 14 to 15, pursue peace with all men. In other words, pursue peace. It's really quite clear, pursue peace. Don't go into wars or fights, struggles with people. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one can see the Lord. And it says, take heed lest any of you fall from the grace of God and a root of bitterness springs up and by it that many are defiled. So notice it, it tells us to guard our heart very carefully because bitterness is a root that goes into our heart and then produces a poisonous fruit that affects relationships. So if I could look back over people I've counseled over the years, people I've helped over the years, and you ask, well, what would be the one single thing that you would identify that would be the uh, cause or the, uh, the, the source of the, the problems people face? It would be bitterness in the heart because of injustice, either perceived or real. That's why this is a very important story. And so we're going to read through the story. We're going to find it in Judges chapter 11. Judges chapter 11. This is the story of the nation of Israel in and out of bondage and God raising up deliverers to deliver them out of the hand of their enemies. And uh, that plan of God to raise up deliverers has never stopped. Jesus said, these signs shall follow them that believe in my hand. Name, they shall cast out demons. See, deliver, deliver. That's the work of every believer to help others be delivered from the hidden spirit realm. So in Judges chapter 11, verse 1. Now, Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor. But, that's always a butter. It? it starts off, you know, he's a mighty man of valor. You know, he's valiant. He's a courageous man. But he didn't start off that way. And no one starts off a mighty, valiant warrior. In fact, many of us start in different ways that are not, not at all, don't look like a warrior's coming out of that at all. It says he was the son of a prostitute, and his father's name was Gilead. And Gilead's wife bore sons, and when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, you shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of a strange or foreign woman. And so Jephthah fled from his brothers and dwelt in the land of Tob, and worthless men banded together with Jephthah and went out raiding with him. Notice, he's suffering injustice, he's attracting people who are of the same spirit. 
and it said, It came to pass after time the people of Ammon made war against Israel. And it was when the people of Ammon made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to Jephthah from the land of Tob to get him. And they said to Jephthah, Come and be our commander that we may fight against the people of Ammon. Notice no apology even. And Jephthah said to the elders, Didn't you hate me and expel me from my father's house? Why do you come now when you're in trouble wanting my help? And they said to Jephthah, Still no apology. Uh, that is why we're turned again to you now, that you may go with us and fight against uh, the people of Ammon and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. And he said, if you take me home to fight against the people of Ammon and the Lord delivers them to me, will I be your head? And they said, the elder said uh, to Jephthah, the Lord be witness between us if we do not do according to your words. How about that? And so Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead. The people made him head and commander, and Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. Now, we're going to go through the story, and I'm going to open it up. I encourage you, when you look at these stories in the Bible, that you take time to think and meditate on what the person experienced. Many times you look at the Bible, you think, well, just, they're just sort of people, and they're great heroes of the Bible, and we don't stop to think of them as just being ordinary people that actually had difficulties they had to overcome. So it would help if you go, when you go through this story to start to think about it in terms of what it might look like in our culture, our society. And then you start to say, oh, my goodness, oh, my God, what has God done with this man? You know, it's astonishing. And I, and I always want to know the keys. I want to know the how-tos. And sometimes you have to search it a bit before you can find it. So notice there, verse 1, he was a mighty man of valor. That mighty man means he's a warrior, he's a champion, he's a man of courage. And when it says that he's a mighty man of valor, he's not just a warrior. That word valor means strength or substance. That he's saying this is a champion who's got substance in him. A lot of people are empty. They carry no substance because they're no conviction or strength inside. And we have to build strength. It says of Jesus, he grew in uh, stature and strength. He grew strong in spirit. He became strong in spirit. You're never born strong in spirit, but you can become strong in spirit. Instead of John the Baptist, he became strong in spirit. So you can be weak in your spirit or you can be strong in your spirit. And there's a difference between the two. You actually have to develop and build your inner life with God. And I can't do a lot of time on that today, but uh, strength of spirit means uh, you are able to face up to challenges and difficulties without quitting. Yeah, you, don't, you, you can stand up to the challenges of life with courage instead of running away. And this is a, there's such a huge need, such a huge need. Now, he didn't get born a mighty valor. He became a mighty valor. You become one by the choices you make. He had to fight little battles you don't know anything about. Lots of little battles. Most of the battles in our life, which God uses to shape you and make you a man or woman of strength, no one will see but God. And maybe you're in one right now. Maybe you're right now in the midst of a, of a battle that seems to be overwhelming. And if you will look at it through the eyes of God, he sees a great destiny ahead. He sees a warrior and a champion ahead. But you've got to fight the little things first. And so what you think is overwhelming you and does, God doesn't care about you is actually God got you in the place of preparation for the great things ahead in your life. Think about that. David, before he ever slew Goliath, slew a lion and a bear, and no one but God saw that. And so for all of us, there are little battles we fight. 
It can be the battle with temptation. It can be the battle with sin. It can be the battle with fear. It can be the battle with the opinions of people. It can be battles over money. It can be battles in relationships. All of us face battles. They're not meant to overwhelm you and sink you. God wants to use them to grow you, wants to grow and, and cause you to be, become strength. So, uh, so we see then there's many, many battles. And God will use the hidden battles of life to prepare you so he can promote you. I'll say that again. God will use the little battles that you face in your life to prepare you and then he can promote you. Most people or many Christians I know, they're always looking for God to promote them because their desire is to be seen by men. But we don't want to be seen by men until God has put us into that place where he wants them to see what he's built in our life. If you're like Saul, pushed out into the limelight and the front of leadership and your heart and life are not prepared, you will fail catastrophically and take others with you. So God in his kindness always has a preparation process. Think about this. What if your whole life is a preparation process for an eternity of sharing rulership and creation with Christ? That would mean you're in your stewardship now and that the battle you're fighting is not to do with the now, it's to do with qualifying for the days ahead. Think about that. And a lot of teaching got on that. So let's then look at the spirit of injustice. So what, first of all, when we talk about injustice, you see God is a God not just of love and holiness, but God is a God of justice. So all the way through the Bible, he's referred to God, a God of justice. So justice and the longing for justice is something inside us. It's a God quality. We want justice. We want things to be right. So what is injustice then? Injustice, let me define it. Injustice is the violation of the rights of a person what they believed they were entitled to uh, was, was just trodden underfoot. They were, they were treated unfairly. And it was a real, <laughs> and that was the thing with Jephthah. Jephthah was subject to a whole number of injustices he could do nothing about. So one of the things about injustices is many times we cannot do anything about it. We feel powerless and the victim of what is happening to us. And in those situations, how you respond is very crucial to what will happen in your future life. So when people are, uh, are suffer injustice, then the feelings they experience when it's not resolved are firstly deep grief. There's a deep sense of grief. Secondly, a deep sense of rejection. I have no value. That that's why people are treating me that way. Uh, it also affects people uh, with uh, feelings of hatred, hatred to the person who caused the injustice, or even hatred against themselves. Uh, these are the things that happen. It can cause great shame. So many people struggle with shame because they've struggled with injustice in their homes. And where there's, say, for example, violence, verbal violence, emotional violence, where there's sexual violence, where people are abandoned, or there's just a withdrawing or withholding of love, a person can grow up feeling really rejected and feel as though something's wrong with me. And they've got to then, they're driven to try and overcome it. So, so that's what happens. So <laughs> to people, injustice happens. And we're going to look into the story, and you'll see three, la three layers of injustice that he suffered. In a moment, I'll explain what they are. So, so then, what then is the spirit of injustice? The Bible, when Jesus came, he came to expose the works of the devil. So you'll notice wherever Jesus went, the anointing on his life uncovered hidden demonic spirits in people's lives that were tormenting them. So when people suffer injustice, usually the types of spirits that keep the injustice fueled in their life 
are spirits of bitterness and unforgiveness and hatred. Those are the things that drive them. There are other things as well, but those are the most common spirits you'll find in people, even people sitting in church. And they come week after week after week, not realizing that deep in their heart, they've never let God in to face the injustices they walk through. And so when you have injustice in your heart and you're carrying those spirits, they stop you believing uh, and accessing the great things that God has for you. I'll come back to that in a moment. So, that's, that, so, so when, when you have spirits of injustice tormenting you, they can only do it if there's something unresolved in your heart that is the wound caused by injustice. So uh, it, when you have injustice and, and spirits around your life that way, it affects how you see people. So for example, the kingdom of God is a kingdom, not a democracy. Jesus didn't come saying, uh, repent for the democracy of God is at hand. Who will you choose? In fact, when he was given the chance to choose, they chose the wrong one, Barabbas. So, so he said, a kingdom. A kingdom has a king. It has order. It has a way of operating. It has lines and chains of command. It has a culture to it. And so if we don't recognize that, we'll fight against it. So, so when, we see, when, we, when people have injustice in their heart, it affects how they look at people. So, for example, one of the most common things I find is women who've been hurt or men who've been hurt by their father have a struggle with authority in every form all through their life, not realizing it doesn't, it's not there for evil, it's there for protection and a purpose of God, but when you're hurting in your heart, then you react to all forms of authority, anyone saying no or trying to bring correction. Living in New Zealand, I can tell you now, one of the hardest things for any pastor to do is bring correction to New Zealanders. Why is that? When the Bible says that the fivefold ministries are given for the, not just for the equipping of the saints, but for maturing them. Why is it people have such a struggle over this? The Bible tells us that he that hates his own soul will despise correction. So when people are struggling with rejection and shame, they will resist being corrected because they'll attach the correction to their, uh, their identity, when it's nothing to do with that. It's just about how you grow up mature. So, so when we suffer with injustice, it affects how we see people. It affects how you interpret people's actions. People are very quick to judge others without having a clue why they did what they did. Uh, but if you have injustice in your heart, then every time someone seems to do anything that's not fear, there will be an angry reaction. And so when we have injustice in our heart, it stirs up cycles of pain and suffering in your life that don't go away. So I've seen so many people come, and when they get married, they're very happy, smiling in love, and then a little while later, all the love is gone, and now there's conflict. Well, the conflict was there in the heart before. Marriage has just brought it to the surface. And without the journey of transformation, letting God change our heart, we just go through immense, enormous pain. Okay, so let's go back into the story of Jephthah, and I want to highlight for you three areas of injustice he suffered. So he is a great example of injustice, and as we will see a little bit later, God had a great purpose for his life, and I want you to catch that purpose in a moment. So notice there, Jephthah was the Gileadite, verse 1, <coughs> he was the son of a prostitute, and Gilead was his father. And Gilead's wife bore sons, and when the sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said, you'll have no inheritance with our father's house. So the first thing he suffered was personal injustice. He had a deep personal injustices that were repeated over and over again. 
And we'll see in a moment when he looked to the authorities locally, there was systemic injustice against him. In other words, the whole community was prejudiced against him. And then when we look at the third area, we'll see he suffered financial injustice. The legacy and inheritance he should have got was taken from him. So he suffered major, major wounding in his heart. Notice here, just think about the story now, how, how it all came together. His the nation had been invaded by Ammonites. And the Ammonites and the Moabites, they were very idolatrous people, they were very unclean people, and prostitution and child sacrifice were part of their temple worship. They have invaded the land. So the, the people of God are now in the minority. They are oppressed by an oppressing uh, people group. And so they're suffering, and the nation goes through extreme poverty because whenever you have demonic oppression and idolatry, there will always be economic consequences of that which cause destruction to families. So his father goes on a business trip, and he meets there an Ammonite woman who is a prostitute. And so he, he, he pays her money and has a one-night stand with her and then goes back and keeps it secret from his wife. The next thing is, the Ammonite prostitute discovers she's pregnant. So the child she's got is only partly Ammonite, it's also partly Hebrew. And so now she has a child that is unwanted by her as an Ammonite and unwanted by her as a prostitute. This is an inconvenience to her. So from the very first point of conception, his, he is not welcome in the world in any way. His first feelings in the womb are those of being rejected. Possibly his mother attempted an abortion on him. It's most likely she did, but he survived all of that. So from the very beginning, his experience is one he's done nothing wrong himself. He's got no say over the things that have happened, over his conception. He's been now conceived in adultery. He's been conceived out of prostitution. He's half Hebrew and half Ammonite. And the mother, of course, this child's an inconvenience. So as soon as she can wean the child, goes back into where uh, Jephthah, the father, where Gilead, the father, lived and found Gilead. Now, that must have been, think, put yourself in the household on that day, in the community on that day. Remember, they're small communities. They're villages. They're not like Auckland, big city. Everyone knows everyone, and they all know their business. That's what it's like. I remember living in Dannyville. That's got about 5,000 people. Everyone knew who I was. You know, even a ring up on the, on the phone. Oh, oh, you're the new teacher at the school. You're driving that Mini Cooper. I don't even know you. How come you know all these things about me, you know? You know, it's, it's, it's small communities are like that. So everyone knows everything else. And not only they all talk about everyone else. Just full of gossip all the time. So you can't keep a secret in a small community because it gets out. You know, and, and Danny, but forever hearing about the stuff that was going on. It just is the way a small community operates. So you can imagine then that the small community and Mrs. Uh, Gilead uh, has a knock at the door and opens the door and she, he, she can tell straight away that's a prostitute and that's an Ammonite. They were distinctive. They look different. And, the, and she's got this baby in her hands and said, this belongs to your husband and drops the baby and goes. You can imagine when Gilead got home that night, how tense the atmosphere in the house would be. Do you have anything to tell me? When you did that business trip, did anything different happen this time? Now, you can imagine now, she is full of anger that her husband has betrayed her. She got enough in her to just at least keep the child, but all through that child growing up, that child was a reminder 
to Mrs. Gilead of her husband's unfaithfulness. You can imagine how she must have treated that child. That her anger against her husband, which she couldn't vent and let out because she'd lose everything, so now she vents it out on the child. So you can imagine growing up in that kind of environment. And then there are other children birthed in the family, but they're slightly different color skin to Jephthah. He is definitely the black sheep of the family. He's definitely the odd one out. Now you understand then that they hated him. They, they saw him as a usurper, that he was going to get access to their father's money because he's the eldest son. So whenever anything went wrong, I'm sure they blamed Jephthah. You know what children can be like. Who started this? He did. That's how kids carry on. So he grows up. Now, not only this, he grows up in a community that hates the Ammonites because they've taken over the nation. So he's part Ammonite and can't hide it. So you understand the shame. Shame because he's conceived out of wedlock. Shame because his mother was an Ammonite. Shame because he's half one and half the other. Shame because his mother was a prostitute. Rejection because she didn't want him. Rejection by the stepmother. Rejection by the stepbrothers. A deep root of abandonment by his natural mother. He has suffered deep injustice and he's hardly even got to primary school. He is suffering because of those early childhood experiences. He is suffering injustice. The only thing that the father did that seems right in this was he brought him into the family and then put a name on him. When you put a name on someone, the name in the Bible is always significant. And so I think the father must have repented, must have come to a place of coming to the Lord and asking God to show him what to name this man. And he put the name Jephthah on him. Name often signifies a destiny, a character, uh, or something that God is doing in your life or about to do. And the name Jephthah means the one who breaks out or breaks forth. So perhaps the Holy Ghost guided the father to put upon the son a name that would define a destiny for him. In spite of all you've experienced, in spite of all the injustice, you are the one that breaks forth and breaks out. And maybe in your life, you know, lots of things have happened in the background. You've gone and walked through many, many things. But God's put a name on you called the name Christian, a Christ one, so that you could be a breakthrough person in your life and whatever circumstances you're in. Greater is he in you than he that's in the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcomes the world? He that believes Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So, so whatever you're facing in your life, whether there's injustice, rejection, abandonment, or any kind of injustice, you need to look at this guy here and see that God put a name on him. In spite of everything that's been done to wreck your life, I call you the one who breaks out. How about that? The one who breaks out. You're sitting next to someone who could have that name, the one who breaks out. Think about that. So you see then all, all of the things there that he suffered. And now, of course, now there's systemic injustice as well. What do we mean by that? Systemic means it affects the whole organization, the whole community. It's something that's running right through the system. So what was running right through the system? It means a systemic injustice means the inequity or, or the unfairness is spread right through a whole system. There's no place you can go where you can get a relief from it. And this is the community. The whole of the community despised him and rejected him because he's a reminder that they're living under oppression. 
So everywhere he goes in the community, all his life, he's the one they pick on and give a hard time. He's the one who doesn't fit. There's a very, very narrow thinking that the Jews of that time had. We are the people. So if you're mixed, they understood in the, in the Bible that the, uh, the Ammonite could not enter the congregation of the Lord, Deuteronomy. So therefore, he's got literally a curse of rejection on his life. And so they wouldn't let him into any gathering, anything religious, anything like that. He is suffering rejection all through his growing years. Perhaps the only one he's got on his side is his father who feels a bit guilty. So systemic, when his father dies, there's now the issue of family inheritance. And so what happens then, uh, there's, a, there's a battle over the money. And so he goes, clearly, he goes to the elders of the town and asks for justice. He asks for those who are in authority to, to bring justice to him. And it says, as we saw, as we read there, you hated me and you kicked me out of town. So in his most vulnerable, when he turns to the people who should be able to help him, they refuse to help him and get rid of him. You understand this is, a, and, and so we see there, he suffers personal injustice of being rejected, unwanted, abandoned, ridiculed and abused and shamed. We see he suffers systemic injustice where the whole community hate him and shun him. And when he appeals to authorities, he's just kicked out of town rather than given a hearing. And then finally, financial injustice where he should have had a double portion of the father's money because he would occupy the role of leader for the family and the extra portion was for his leadership responsibilities. Instead, they all conspired against him and went to the authorities and got him cancelled. Can you see the devastation of all that he suffered and went through? Horrendous injustice. We don't know whether he was violently treated but he was a very, very angry person. That's why, as you see a little bit later, the anger spills out with him becoming a fighter. Okay, so we're gonna, so you're getting the story now. The guy's really, and you, you think your story was tough. Well, this had a part, he's had a really hard deal, see? And uh, so one of the challenges, of course, is the type of community that he was in is what they call an honor-shame culture. So the culture of the West is not an honor-shame culture, but the cultures of Asia and the Middle East and South America and Polynesian cultures, uh, they all are a culture which is called an honor-shame culture. So they are uh, they're collective cultures. In other words, uh, being part of a community is really important, whereas a Western culture, being an individual is what's important. And so in a collective culture like that, it's very important that you have respect and the value or the honor of the community. So the honor, honor was something they sought. Honor meant that the community spoke well of you, they admired you, they looked up to you, you had a good name. And so there were sources of honor. One of the sources of honor is your name, where you've come from, what your family is. Already uh, my son's been trying to help a, a young man in our city and his father left uh, uh, all these creditors. He's trying to run a business and he's now being dishonored and treated badly because of his father's reputation. So we can have honor come down a family line or you can have dishonor come down a family life and shame. And so honor comes from the family background. Honor comes from uh, achieving something courageous in the war. Honor came also from being generous. Dishonor could come from your family or it could come from immorality or it could come from you behaving in a way that the community rejected you. In any way, all of those communities, they fear to be shamed or fear to lose face. 
They will do anything not to lose face. He is losing face all the time. He is living with shame all the time, and there's nothing he could do about it. So you notice there, it's horrendous. He is clothed literally in shame and dishonor, but that's not the end of the story. Hey, that's not the end of the story, not the end of your story either. So let's go on and see what happened. And it says there, uh, it says in, in verse 3, Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and went to the lab of Tob and worthless, worthless men. That's not a good bunch of friends he's hanging out with, is it? Eh? Worthless guys banded together with Jephthah and went out raiding with them. So they're out there attacking people, killing them, taking all their goods. They're all angry. So he's now got a bunch of men around him who are all angry and they got swords and they're going to make someone pay for what they've suffered. Eh? So, <laughs> so you can run. Here's the thing. If you've suffered injustice in your life, unfair treatment or, and, there's, and there's heartache and sorrow and grief and bitterness, you can run. You can run anywhere, but you can't hide from who you are. Wherever you go, there you are. And whatever is in your heart will flow out into your life. So you notice he does a runner, but guess who gathers around him? Guess who the people that attract into him? Same kind of people, full of injustice, bitterness, anger, and uh, resentment. So the, the, the whole group of them are in bad shape. But that's not the end of this story. Time does not change you. Your choices do. Now, when we look in the story here, you have to see some things in the wilderness, he became a mighty man of valor. So he has a season where he's cut out from family, he's cut out from his hometown, he's out in a wilderness period, and in that season, God is working. Notice here, it says, uh, he became a mighty man of valor. Read it in Hebrews 11, verse 32, and I want to show you exactly what must have happened. In Hebrews 11:32, it says, what shall I say? Time would fail me to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, also David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, and obtained promise. Now, get this. In, in Hebrews chapter 11, which is the famous chapter on faith, so it talks about without faith, you can't please God. What pleases God is nothing to do with your neediness or your state. Do you have faith? He is who he says he is. Hebrews 11, 6 he that uh, comes to God must believe he is existing and believe he will reward those who diligently seek after him. So then it goes through and it begins to tell the story. Now, if you were writing down the story through history of, of several thousand years of history and you had to highlight, you can't tell about everyone, but we've got to choose some people and put them in a list and say, these are men of faith. These are men that God takes their name out of history, puts it in Hebrews 11, said, these are guys to look up to because they had what I look for in people. And so it goes through the, and of course starts with, you know, it starts with uh, Noah and so, it starts off with the great and familiar ones. Then it gets down to a few lines of ones that are not so well known. How about this, Samson? And so when people think of Samson, they always think of Delilah, they think of his fall. But the Bible in the New Testament doesn't mention about his fall. It just mentions he's a man of faith. In other words, his faith managed to get him over the fall and into the history of God's greats. How about that? So even if you've failed and fallen and done some dumb stuff on the way, that's not the end of your story. See, he, he remembered where he'd fallen from, repented, and God renewed him, and his last days were greater than his first. And then right there, suddenly Jephthah is put in there. Hello, I thought that the Moses said that the, that the children of Ammon couldn't come into the congregation of the Lord. How has God singled out this man, half Ammonite, a mixture, 
How has God singled him out? One reason, faith in his heart. And faith is not just you believe something. Faith means you live something out. So the Holy Ghost stops for a moment and says, out of all the people in history, here's some names I want to draw to your attention because God liked them. He, pleased, they, he was pleased with them. It had nothing to do with what their background was. You look at the background. You know, the people lied, people cheated, people uh, killed people, people committed adultery, all kinds of issues going on in there. But God says, yeah, 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 I saw all of that. Yeah, that was dumb stuff. But I saw there was something that was bigger than that. I saw their faith. And so right there, Jephthah's labeled a man of faith. So when did he become a man of faith? And what did that mean? Let me just give you a few things because then you'll see how this would outwork in your own life if you're struggling with these same things too. How did he become a mighty valor valor? See, this is a man who's honored by God. Surely at the end of your life, the one thing you want is God to honor the life you lived because you leave everything else behind. So in the end, what legacy did you leave? There it is right down there, legacy. I love it. See, up here, legacy on the world. What will you leave for the next generation? He left a history that says, no matter how tough it is at the beginning, it's not the end of your story. If you believe God, you can be raised up and come the head of the company. See, and I saw their transformation on the wall out the other room there. He let God transform them. Here's some of the things that must happen. We, 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 we don't always choose, we can't choose what happens to us but we can choose how we deal with it in response. So this is really, so how did he respond? Let me give you some simple things that we know he must have, must have done, and then I want to show you just how you can step out of where you are in injustice and start to move forward. So number one, he encountered God personally and entrusted his life to him. How do we know that? Because it says he's a man of faith. All the men of faith had encounters with God. They all had encounters with God, and they chose to believe that God would do for them what He said He would. So I don't know at what point that happened. We know this. We know He was treated unjustly. He left in a rage and an anger, being rejected by the whole community. But somewhere out there living in the wilderness, probably looking up to the stars every night and seeing the stars and seeing the greatness of it and realizing the hopelessness of a situation he cried out to God, and God must have visited him. He must have had an encounter with God because he came to a place of trusting him, believing in him. So number one we see with him, the first thing he did was he reached out to encounter God. That's the first step you and I have to do, is to turn to Jesus Christ, to turn to the one who brings us into an encounter that changes our life. So that's the first thing he did. Here's the second thing he must have done. The second thing he must have done is allowed his identity, who he was, to be formed out of what God had to say to him. Remember, his father prophetically spoke over him that you are the one who breaks through. So somehow God has helped him understand he is a man of destiny. He's a man with a call of God on his life, that no matter how he entered the world, he will one day be a hero of faith, that others will read his story and say, look what God can do with someone who's that broken. It's a, it, it's a story for you to draw hope from. This guy had such a hard time. The third thing that we know he must have done was this. We know he must have processed his injustice and forgiven the people. Processed his injustice and forgiven the people. I'll give you some simple steps on how to do that shortly. 
How do we know that he processed the injustice and forgave those people? This is how we know, because when they came and asked him for help, he helped them. If you've been ripped off by people, badly treated by people, walked away deeply hurt and betrayed and struggling and suffering, it's not likely you're going to want to be kind to those people. Not while you've got all that stuff in your heart. Usually the way people think is like this, oh, that wheel's gone right around, this is your turn to get some hard times. That's how, that's how people think. See, when there's bitterness in the heart, there's always retaliation comes out. Or people delight in someone else's pain. Oh, isn't this good? Yes, they're going to get theirs. I mean, that's the, that's the way people think. They quietly rejoice in someone's suffering. Now, even Christians do that. They quietly rejoice when someone they don't like gets into pain, which just tells you they've got anger and bitterness in the heart and they haven't got a loving spirit. I had someone who betrayed me very deeply, uh, a trusted friend, and betrayed me through the prophetic office and various things that he, he did. But then when I heard he'd fallen into trouble, I grieved and felt the fear of God. See, you don't want to rejoice someone getting beaten up in life. That shows a bad attitude. It shows an unloving heart. So when they came and asked for help, he was willing to give the help. That tells he's dealt with it. What's the next thing he must have done? There must have been another thing. The next thing he did was he developed the giftings God had given him. He became very great in warfare. You see, it's no use living and acting like a victim. The problem with this thing of injustice is it creates a victim mindset. And when you have a victim mindset, you tend to blame others for why you're suffering and you never own responsibility. And this is a huge issue that's coming into our society. You'll see it if you know what to look for. You'll see it in America. It's coming right through the education system and uh, it's right in behind the Black Lives Matter movement. Not the issue, but the movement behind it. And uh, there's a whole issue of injustice people are experiencing but the way they're trying to address it through critical thinking, critical race theory, is basically it divides society up to the oppressors and the oppressed. And if you're poor, then you're oppressed. You need to overthrow the oppressors. So it's really come straight out of communism, out of Russia, and it was the philosophy that upheaved Russia. And it's right through in the West now, going right through all the education system. I see that one of the first things that uh, the latest president did after he got elected was to sign away the, the protection that had been put in place to stop this going through the government. So, so this is why this is an issue. You want to find out about it because it's a disturbing issue. It creates victims and victors. And if you're a victim, you need to overthrow them by any means possible. So in other words, it doesn't help people see that God can get you up out of that place where you've been oppressed. In, in, the, in the book of Exodus, when the people came out of Egypt, the people of God came out of Egypt, they had had 400 years of slavery. No wages, just oppression for 400 years. They had, a generation had lost their babies, their male babies. They, they came out a wounded, hurting people. They came out full of the injustice of slavery and full of bitterness at how they'd been treated. And what was the first thing that God addressed in their lives when they came out of Egypt? The first thing he addressed in Exodus 15, he brought them to a place called the bitter waters to a point of hardship and thirst to expose that in their heart there was deep bitterness. 
when they came to the bitter waters, they complained. But Moses cried to the Lord. The Lord showed him a tree, which when you put it in the bitter waters, made it sweet. The Lord gave him a revelation that the cross of Christ doesn't just save you. It can heal the pain of injustice and an embittered heart. Here's why God wanted to deal with it. Because their mindset was that of a victim. They did not have faith in their heart. There was bitterness in their heart. And with bitterness, you cannot enter all that God has for you because you always see through what's in your heart. So God wanted to heal the broken heart, wanted to heal the bitterness, to change the mentality. Yes, you've suffered. Yes, it's been unjust. Yes, you've had slavery, but you're part of a new covenant now, and you have a new destiny, a new future, a new power, a new ability to break through, a new, a new beginning has, has started. You understand? That is what we're to bring. That's what we're to bring. So no matter what, where we're from or whatever we've come out of, there is hope that in the new covenant, the cross of Christ can break the power of what's embittered me and give me a whole new start. I do not need to live my life as a victim looking for someone to blame. Rather, God empowers me to rise up. You say that? Amen. So, so, so we developed the gift. And here's the last thing that he did was he embraced God's assignment. And here's the interesting thing. He embraced the assignment of God. Every believer here, God has something for you to accomplish with your life. He has prepared things for you to do uniquely. There's no one else can do what you're called to do. No one else has the sphere of influence you have. No one has your story. Your story is your story. And when you bring God into your story and the power of God starts to transform your heart and your life and your relationships, now you're in a place to bring the presence of God to those around you. His assignment, His assignment was to deliver the nation from injustice. So he's the one who suffered the most injustice, and that's the one God raises up to bring a deliverance from injustice. So when the time came, he had prepared and was ready for the assignment of his life, which was just that one event. That's all we see about him, is that the man treated unjustly, unfairly, rose up and became the head, the one who was able to deliver the nation. So get this, your life is not just about you. It's you, you are part of a bigger purpose. And we see with Jephthah, he is part of a bigger scene. His life is prophetic of Jesus Christ. So while he's going through all his suffering, all his pain, all his injustice, out into the wilderness, struggling and trying to overcome things, finally he comes back and now he's raised, the anointing is on him, he becomes the deliverer for the whole nation, the head of the whole nation. His life is a prophetic picture of Jesus Christ. He would come into this world, suffer uh, attacks on his uh, life at his very earliest age, uh, suffer injustice, become an immigrant, go to a foreign country, suffer all kinds of words all through his life against his origins. And eventually, he would lay down his life and he would become the head, the savior of the world. See? So you understand then, Jephthah's story is a story, but behind it, there's a deeper story of a picture of a coming savior. You don't know that your story is not just about you, but it's actually about what God can do through you to give hope to others. You don't know all of what your story is about. You don't know all the ways you impact people. But what you do need to know is that when your life is in God's hands, you are the one that breaks through. You've got the capacity in God to break through the things that have happened, to become a person of faith, to become 
become a person who blesses people, who prays for people, who sets people free, leads people to Christ. That's who you are. That's our destiny. That's what we're called to be. Overcomers, people like Jephthah, a mighty man of valor. And this day, the Holy Ghost is waking the church up, waking up the mighty men who are asleep to get you back into prayer, back into faith, back into my, it's not about the politics in the nation, it's about changing the hearts of people. I want to be a part of changing the hearts of people. Church is not just about coming to meetings, it's about the equipping of sons and daughters to carry the life of God to the community. See, this is what's in these stories. Anyway, let me just give you, I'll finish it up, just share with you a few simple practical things, and uh, then we'll just have a chance to pray for people. Okay? So, so his wilderness, like the wilderness of many others, was the place of preparation, and it needs the cross. Let me just share just some simple keys, because for some of you, you may identify with the story and have gone through your own particular pain. The number one and the first thing is, we need to do what he did and come to an encounter with the Lord. Encounters with the Lord are when we come to Jesus Christ, we come to the cross, we broke the power of curses and shame and sin and failure, defeat, all of the things that could gather around us and clothe us and make us unclean. Jesus at the cross took all of that power. So the first place to come is to the person of Jesus Christ. Secondly, we need to face what has happened to us. We need to face what we've experienced. Now, I found that among many, many Christians, they don't want to face their pain. They try to bury it and cover it and conceal it and hide it. And it's always malfunctions. And it's often, sadly, later in life, midlife, that the mess they've created is so apparent. God, God, the perfect, Jesus said he came to heal the brokenhearted. How can we not say that people aren't brokenhearted? He, he came to set people free of demons. How can we say that this is not a problem for people? This is what he came to do. Not just to save you so you go to heaven. He came to transform you so you could be his representative in the earth. But that requires cooperation. So the second thing then, having come to the Lord, I need to actually face the issue in my life that's caused pain. That means to recognize what happened to me, how it affected me, and be willing to grieve. We need to grieve over the things we've suffered. It's not a matter of just saying you need to get over it, move on. That doesn't work. That's just shouting at your heart and telling your heart to stop talking to you. We need to actually recognize that your heart retains all of those things. And out of your heart flow the boundaries or borders or limits of your life. So to be honest with our own heart, to bring the pain to the Lord is very, very important. To spend time. You see, the Bible says he carried our griefs and sorrows. So why would you be carrying them? You carry them because you don't want to face them. They're too painful. We carry them because we don't want to let them go. We want to stay angry because we feel powerful when we're angry. But none, no good relationships are formed with that stuff. And so it takes courage to get alone with God and perhaps journal and write and pour out what's in your heart that you're facing, what you're struggling with, and how it still affects you. So we need to face the pain and grieve. We bring the grief to the cross. That's why bring it consciously. Holy Spirit, come into that place I'm grieving and heal me. I refuse to live in that grief any longer. The next thing we need to face, do I need to forgive someone? If I've suffered injustice, then someone caused it. Who caused it? What did they do? How did it affect me? How is it still affecting me? I need to actually choose to forgive from the heart. To forgive from the heart means I'm not holding anything against them anymore. I'm free. 
Forgiving from the heart means you connect with your heart. How much pain and anger you got going on in there. I find you'd be surprised how many people, whether it doesn't really matter whether they're in whatever stage and phase of life, I find them wrestling with the stuff. Next, we need to repent where we've held bitterness and hatred. Repent where we've made vows we'd never trust anyone again or never be like someone. Where we've hardened our heart to try and stop ourselves being hurt. Those things stop you growing in God. They stop you becoming a powerful person because you're relying on your own strength to protect yourself instead of leaning into God and trusting Him. And then we have to start to change how we deal with life. I can't go into all of that now, but we've got to change the patterns of reacting when injustice comes and becoming angry and reactionary. Instead, learning to bless people and become an answer to the problem, become a person who can come into that and bring healing to it. This, a lot of what I've done recently has been to help people do that. I've seen families right on the point of breaking up, and I've talked to the, the father because he's the head of the household. I said, both you and your wife come from a, a background where there's broken families, and, and your reaction now to your children, you're going to breach the next generation. You're going to cut them off. You've got to be bigger than that, and you've got to overcome that, and you've got to ensure that what you suffered growing up is not repeated in the next generation because you're called to be a legacy builder, not just build for yourself. A lot of people don't see it that way. They just don't see it. It's not about you and your life. It's about actually how you represent Jesus, how you advance his kingdom, the influence you'll have on people, the legacy you will leave of how your life touched people. And so you can't just think about yourself and this generation. You think about the next one and then the one to come. It says a, a good man leaves an inheritance to his grandchildren. You can only do that if you've got a connection to them. Think about it. Maybe some already, there's been breaches in it. It doesn't need to end that way, but it will take humility, a humble and prayerful approach to bring a healing of that generational gap. Think about it. This man became a champion of God. And God's calling you to become a champion too. We can share a personal testimony out of what we've walked through because we faced the pain and resolved it at the cross. And that's where authority comes to help others. So stop being the victim. Stop looking at what you're going through and feeling sorry for yourself. Stop looking at your pain and bearing it and trying to pretend it's not there. Start to say, God, I want to be honest with you. I want that work in my heart so I can be free of it. I want to comfort others with the comfort you've given me. I want the Holy Ghost to come in. I'm no longer going to try and control people and relationships to protect being hurt. I want to be a, a Holy Ghost person that can love people. So we could share more, but that's enough. I've given you enough. How many people, think about it, how many people now can identify the injustice they've experienced? You say, oh man, that was bad, that was not fair, that was, see, be many people. Why don't you say tonight, I want to deal with it. I want to start that journey. It is a journey, but it starts when you face it and bring it to the Lord, and then the journey is ongoing. As you process, you forgive, and then you start to bless the people who hurt you. Sometimes it's been so violent and outrageous there are boundaries needed and you can't go near that person because they're still dangerous. However, that's not everyone's situation. And to be able to love people that have hurt you shows that you're a son and a daughter of your father. 
Why don't we close our eyes right now? Father, we thank you. Let the musicians come up. I just believe God wants to come and encounter people tonight. Wants to touch your heart and touch your life. This is going to be this issue of bitterness and justice and, and, and strife that comes with it. You will see it turn up in the papers. You'll see it turn up in the schools. You'll be wondering what's going on. I've given you a heads up before it comes. This is what's in the earth today. Jesus said in the last days, many will become offended. See? Who is he talking about? Christians. Becoming offended because of the things that are happening. Instead of actually keeping their focus on Jesus and say, I'm, going, I'm the one who breaks through. I break through this stuff. That's who I am. That's my identity. That's what my father said. He called me by that name, the one who breaks through. If you're a Christian, that's what your father's saying about you. You're the one who breaks through. I understand what you've gone through. I'm here to help you. But I want you to know most of all, you're the one who breaks through. You've got all you need in the spirit and word of God to break through. You've got everything you need. You just need the courage now to make the decision to deal with the stuff. Jephthah went back and he stood up. He became the head and the leader of the nation. And God gave him a great deliverance. He delivered the nation from their enemies. God is looking for people who will deliver his people from their enemies. Will you be one? then let God deal with your stuff now. Father, we thank you for one another. I thank you for the wonderful people here. I thank you that in this building right now, there is such enormous potential in business, in school, education, in the community, in the nursing profession, every area of society. There's people who have come and here they are. Father, today I'm asking you'll do a work in their heart. I'm asking for people to have encounters with you. I'm asking that you would heal the broken heart. I'm asking you would set people free from spirits that have tormented them, hatred and bitterness, spirits of abuse, spirits that have defiled them, made them unclean. Lord, I'm asking tonight there'll be a massive move of your spirit. We love you, Lord. We love you and we honor you. We want our lives to be a prophetic message to everyone. Look what God can do to the person who believes and trusts Him. That's what we want to be, that kind of person. We don't want people to look at us and say, oh man, if that's a Christian, I don't want anything to do with that. That's not who you are. You're an overcomer. You're the one who overcomes. Now live it out. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We pray that you would activate something in your life and shift your life towards Jesus. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more, just click follow. We love you. Have a blessed week.